Yeah, Andy's back there. There it is. It sounds bad. Good evening, everyone. Uh, happy to see everyone here. Uh, if we have any visitors uh, with us, we're happy for your presence. Please stay around. Let us get to know you uh, just for a few moments afterward. Glad you're with us, and uh, we welcome you back at any time. Um, our first song is number 383. 383. Let's be standing while we sing this song. We sing the first, second, and fourth verses. <clears throat> I've a home prepared where the saints abide, just over in the glory land. And I long to be by my Savior's side, just over in the glory land. Just Next song is number 822. 822. After this song, we'll have our scripture reading and prayer. Heaven came down.
No scripture? Would you bow with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we had this morning to come and worship with you. We thank you for the opportunity that we have again this evening to come and glorify your name, to sing songs of praises to you, to come to you in prayer as we do now, and to hear a portion of your word later. We pray, Father, that as we gather in corporate sessions like this, that we will always do what we can to follow the pattern that we find and the things that we find in Scripture that tell us what we should be doing during these times together. We pray that the efforts that we undertake here will inspire us, will edify us, will strengthen us so that when we are not together, we can be strong individually, as strong as we are together. We pray, Father, that as we live our lives from day to day, that we will do everything to exemplify our perfect example that we have in your Son that you sent to this earth and who willingly came to this earth to live as flesh, to undergo the disappointments and heartaches, which were only the beginning of the problems that he ended up with. And we realize, Father, this was all part of your plan for the saving of mankind from his sins. We're thankful, Father, that he was willing to suffer the humiliation and the beatings that he underwent on our behalf and to ultimately die on the cross for our sins so that we one day might be able to be with you in heaven throughout eternity. Father, if there are those here this evening who have not named your name, confess that he is your son and repented of their sins and undergone baptism that places them into your son. We pray that they will have a change of heart, that they will listen to the words that are spoken later by Chris, and that uh, something we do or say here, if not tonight, at some point in the future, will stir them to make that good confession so that they too might have their sins removed and can be with you in eternity. We pray that you be here with the congregation, Father, the elders that lead it. May we always do things that are in accordance with your will and the decisions that are made. We pray that those will be the best for this body of believers so that we can do the work that we are supposed to do in edifying one another, in preaching the word, and in providing the benevolence that is necessary from time to time. We pray, Father, that you be with those who are not with us this evening, those who, for one reason or another, uh, cannot be with us or have chosen not to be with us. And we pray, Father, that uh, what, whatever the situation is that is keeping them from being with us, that that, that can be removed. And if we can have a part in, in helping uh, that eventuality, we pray that we can um, do our part in making that happen. As we continue to sing about you and your glory and about your son and all that you have done for us and mean to us, we pray, Father, that we will sing in spirit and in truth and that we will worship you in spirit and truth as we go forward. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand and turn number 716. 716. Song of invitation, if you're marking in your books, will be number 772. 772. Walking alone at evening. Walking alone at
Good evening. Be turning in your Bibles to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. We find a guy in First Kings and in Second Chronicles uh, that we're going to be talking about tonight. We've been studying through Jesus' genealogy found in Matthew chapter 1. As Matthew breaks uh, to us these, these men and women that are found in Jesus' genealogy, you find him coming across several broken people. Several people that are just, their stories are not the ones you tell at, uh, at reunions. These are, these are hard stories, stories um, that bring out and, and uh, focus on. These people's failings. And tonight's maybe no different. Uh, tonight we will be talking about the King Solomon. Uh, he is next in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus. His father, of course, is the great King David. The man that the Bible says is after God's own heart. He has a heart like God's. He is repentant. He is angry at sin. Uh, he is broken hearted at his own sin. He is ready and willing to do the right thing at all times. Um, and so when he has a son, you would expect the son to follow in his footsteps. And for some of his life, Solomon does. For a lot of his life, Solomon does. But he loses focus. I feel like today is the, the word of the day is focus because that's what we talked about this morning in our Bible classes. We talked about being on mission uh, and, this, and then this morning with Hebrews chapter 2, this warning about losing focus. And tonight with Solomon who, who lost focus. He is our test case, our illustration of what happens when someone loses focus in God's kingdom. So we're going to start here in Second Chronicles. You can also find his story in First Kings. Both of these stories are essentially the same. Uh, he covers about 19 chapters in, in between these two books. Uh, they tell, 19 chapters tells Solomon's story. And so I encourage you, go back through and read. Starting in 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, you'll find Solomon's story. And then here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, starts Solomon's story. And so for about 10 chapters in each one of these books, you'll find his story. And I encourage you this week to go back through and read Solomon's story. There are going to be some uh, differences in between these two stories. Uh, Chronicles uh, gives us some stories that the writer of Kings leaves out and vice versa. And so maybe the question for you this week is why? Why did they include certain stories in 1 Kings and leave out those same stories in 2 Chronicles? That's, that's kind of a fun brain teaser to, to work out this week. But as we start, let's begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. First we'll start in verse 1. Solomon, the son of Established himself in his kingdom, and the Lord his God was with him and made him exceedingly great. Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, to the judges and to all the leaders of Israel, the heads of fathers' houses. And Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. This is before the temple is made. And so they are currently worshiping on high places. These are just mountains um, that where they where they built altars. This is not necessarily pleasing to the Lord. And in fact, this is going to be something that Israel, both nations, struggle with over the next 200 years. Uh, right after Solomon is the hour we're going to talk about next week, so I don't want to give away too much, but his name's Rehoboam. And during his reign, the kingdom splits. And for the next 200 years, both Israel and uh, the nation that will be known as Judah stays on these high places and they worship both God and false idols on these high places. And so Solomon has started, uh, started this, this, this high places uh, worship. And so uh, he's gone up to the high place that was at Gibeon for the tent of meeting of God, which, was, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, had made in the wilderness. It was there. But David had brought up the ark of God from kirath Jerem to the place that David had prepared for it, for he had, t- for he had pitched a tent in it for it in Jerusalem. Moreover, the bronze altar that Bezazel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was there before the tabernacle of the Lord. And Solomon and the assembly sought it out. They went looking for it. That's something you're going to see throughout, especially during the beginning of Solomon's reign. 
Uh, I don't know at what point he got distracted. Scripture doesn't share that information with us. But at some point he gets distracted. But early on in his, in his reign as king, this man is laser focused. And I think I know why. Out of the 16, out of the 19 chapters that record for us Solomon's life, 16 of these chapters, all but three chapters that tell us about Solomon's life, are him doing one thing. You ever notice that? 16 out of the 19 chapters that tell us about Solomon's life, he's doing one thing. You ever done that? You ever done like one thing? Most moms have never done that, have you? <laughs> my wife has never done that. My, I think my own mom has never done that. But sometimes I get to do that. And so you do one thing, and, but then somebody will come up and they'll have a question for you. And that takes you off into another task, doesn't it? If you were trying to cut the grass, well, then you've got to pick up all the things that are all the kids' toys, and all the balls and stuff that you find out in the yard, don't you? And so you go out there and you do that. But then as you're doing that, something else pops up, and you've got to go to the dogs and make them. I cut grass today, by the way, so this is an illustration from my own life. But you get distracted as you're trying to do that one thing, don't you? Solomon was laser-focused on one thing. For 16 out of the 19 chapters that record his life, he was only focused on one thing. You know what that one thing was? Building the temple. He was focused on building the temple. For 16 out of the 19 chapters that record his story, he is building the temple or he is working in the temple or he is offering sacrifices in the temple or he is dedicating the temple or he is appointing musicians to play in the temple. It's all focused around the temple. His problem was after the temple, after he got the temple built. He started building it in the fourth year of his reign, and it took him seven years to build it. By the end of that 11th year of his reign, he stops building the temple, and things start unraveling. He reigns for 40 years, but after so long, he lost his vision. He lost his mission. He lost purpose. And I'm afraid if we are not careful, we lose our vision and our purpose as well. Look here in verse 7, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. You get to meet Solomon. And it's just an incredible thing that he asks for, right? Uh, David is an old man by the time that, uh, that he takes over, uh, by the time he dies. And so Solomon is fairly young by the time he, he assumes the throne. Uh, we don't know how old David was when, when Bathsheba had Solomon. Bathsheba is Solomon's mom. Uh, and so uh, Matthew draws attention to, to her in, in uh, the genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1 as he's making his way to Jesus. But, so we don't know exactly how old David was when, when uh, Solomon was born, but we do know Solomon's a fairly young man when he takes over the throne. Listen to what this young guy says when he gets all the power. You would think he would have some different things on his mind, but that's not, that's not Solomon. He's a genuinely, especially here in the beginning, good man. Listen to what he says. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 7. That night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. Now that's a, that's a dream, isn't it? God comes to him and he says, You ask it and I'll give it to you. He's, he's, God's giving him a blank check. What do you want, Solomon? What could Solomon have asked for there? I want to live for the next 200 years. God probably would have granted it, right? Uh, I don't want to have any enemies. I want all of my enemies to die. God would have granted it. Solomon could have said, I want to be the richest guy in the world. God would have granted it. He's giving them a blank check. And so with, uh, when this happens, you've got to be thinking, well, what's Solomon going to ask for? He does something that's very wise. Verse 8, And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. You remember that from Abraham's life? The promise that God had, in, had given to Abraham to multiply his people like the sands of the sea and like the stars in the sky. Solomon says it's come true right here. And you're going to find that a lot coming true during Solomon and David's reign. All the promises that God made through the patriarchs 
David and Solomon see them as being fulfilled right here during their reign. And ultimately through the reign of Christ, obviously. Uh, But here Solomon says, that promise you made to Abraham, it's coming true because your people are like, like the dust of the earth. There's so many of them, which is a good thing unless you're in charge. Unless you're the guy that hey, all those people are going to come to to have to mediate these differences. And that's where Solomon has found himself. So in verse 10, he says, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people. For who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? Now, just to look at his thought there for a second. He's overwhelmed. The job is much too big for him. Like we talked about with Moses today, when God gives you a job, it's often too big for you. Isn't that amazing? Sometimes we want jobs, we want missions, we want ministries uh, in the church and, and in the world that are our size. That's not how God works, is it? He gives us a God-sized mission. And so when he does this to Solomon, Solomon says, the weight is too big for me. I'm, I'm young, I'm inexperienced, I don't know how to do this. And so I need your help. When he did it to Moses, when, when God calls Moses, Moses says, no, I don't, I don't want this responsibility. It's too big. I don't know how to handle it. What's God say? I will be with you. He says the exact same thing with Solomon. Sometimes we're dreaming too small, right? We dream too small because we want ministries and we want missions that we can handle. What's the problem with that? You're too small. God's given us a vision. He's given us a ministry, a mission. And we need to take up that mission and allow him to work through us to fulfill it. And that, that's the thing that Solomon's saying here. Is this, it's just too big for me. God, I'm going to need your help. I need you to do this through me, right? It's a beautiful thought that he's saying here. But also, you need to notice whose people is this in verse 10. These are your people. Though Solomon sits on the throne, who's king? Yahweh. Yahweh's king. Even though Solomon sits on the throne, Yahweh is king. And so it's a reversal of what has happened with Saul, right? You remember when Saul was appointed to be king over Israel? Samuel had been judge over Israel for most of his life by that point. And Samuel uh, hears that the people are demanding a king. And so Samuel is, is distraught. He's heartbroken because the people have rejected God. Because this is God's people. God has paid for them through, the bring, through bringing them out uh, of Egypt. These are, this is God's nation. He's their ruler. He's in charge. And now these people want to put a king in charge so they can look like the rest of the world? Samuel just doesn't get it. All that's been reversed now in, in David and in Solomon. And Solomon recognizes it. He says, I'm not in charge. I, I, I'm just your mouthpiece. This people is, is yours. So look what he says in verse 11. God answered Solomon, because this was in your heart, because this was what you wanted, right? Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, are the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for a long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people. God says, you're right. They are mine. You are just the mouthpiece. You are just, you are just uh, the one who, who sits on the throne, but you're not actually in charge. This is my people. You are right. And so... Since you asked for wisdom and not all these other things, so that you can govern my people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. You get what you asked for, Solomon. Good on you. You asked for wisdom and knowledge. Here it is. And Solomon became the wisest man on the face of the planet all the way up until Jesus himself was here. God also says, I will give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings had who were before you, and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon not only is the wisest man to walk the planet up until this point, he's also the wealthiest. In fact, we don't have time to read it because you're going to read it through this week, right? But if you go back through, when you go back through and read through these sections, you're going to find that gold was as common as rocks in the land of Israel during Solomon's day. Let me tell you, 
this figure that I ran across this week that I was astounded by. So David, Solomon's dad, sets back so much money. He sets back gold. He sets back silver. He sets back bronze. You can't, he sets back so much bronze, you can't even number it. He doesn't even bother to count it. That's how much it is. He sets back all this stuff along with cedars from Lebanon and a variety of other things to build the temple. Solomon doesn't even touch any of that stuff when he goes to build the temple. He, when he's done building the temple, he brings all that stuff in and he puts it in the treasuries of the temple. You want to know just the gold, just the gold, how much gold David set aside to help Solomon build the temple? Because David's been doing this for a while. It was David's dream to build the temple, and God said, no, you're not going to build the temple. It's for your son. He's going to build it. So David said, okay. And so he starts setting aside things, money and gold and and, um, supplies to build the temple with. Just the gold that David set aside was 100,000 talents of gold. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us. We don't know how much a talent is. Talent's about 75 pounds. He set over 7.5 million pounds of gold aside so that Solomon could build the temple. 7.5 million. You know how many 7.5 million pounds is? It's two Buckingham palaces. Are you kidding me? He set aside two Buckingham Palaces sized worth of gold. It's not how much it cost. It's how much it weighed. Its cost would have been even more exorbitant. A lot of scholars think that Solomon spent somewhere around half a billion dollars with a B. Half a billion dollars building the temple. And so when people say that this this temple was opulent and extravagant, that people came from all over the world to see this thing. They did. And you can go back through and, and, and the rest of Chronicles and, and the Kings section and First Kings, starting I think in chapter five, you can find God detailing exactly how Solomon was to build this temple. It was extravagant. They 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 spared no expense in doing this. It was supposed to be opulent. It was supposed to be extravagant because the God of the universe was going to be worshipped there. It's a beautiful thing, right? And this, this mission ate up Solomon's life. I don't know what he does for the first four years of his reign. He doesn't build the temple until the fourth year. I wonder if he's not amassing more and more gold because he looks at the seven and a half million pounds that his dad set aside and goes... That's not even going to fill a closet. And he starts amassing more and more and more. And so in ta- chapter 4, he starts building the furnishings. Uh, in chapter 5 of Second Chronicles, uh, the ark is brought into the temple. Chapter 6, Solomon blesses uh, the people and he, he starts praying this beautiful prayer uh, as he dedicates the temple to God. Listen to what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Here's the prayer of a man who legitimately loves God and wants to do what's right, who's focused. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had it set in the court. And he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. This is the king acting like a leader acts. This is a man who is righteous and humble, who is leading his people in the way that they should go. So he's up on this dais, but he's not the focus, right? He's not the one everybody's looking at. They're looking up into toward heaven, just as Solomon is, as he's got his hands raised toward it. In verse 14, he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on the earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. That's Solomon. He, he recognizes that God blesses people who walk before him with all their heart. Focus, right? God blesses the focused. Verse 15, he says, Who have kept with your servant David my father what you have declared to him. 
You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Solomon says, what you said, you did. You, you did what you said you were going to do. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not like a man to sit before, the, before me on the throne of Israel. If only your sons pay close attention. Here's that thought we came across this morning. Paying special close attention. Being focused. There it is again. There's a connection here, guys. We don't need to miss this. It's so easy just to drift away. Solomon says he's not drifting away. Not during this section of his life. He's paying close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God, O Lord God of Israel, let your word be be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. Solomon has done something incredible. He has, most scholars think that with inflation, Solomon could have paid off our national debt maybe a couple times over. I think it's somewhere around $23 trillion now or something like that. I don't even know the right number. But most people think that he could have paid off our national debt with what he paid for the temple. It's an incredible number. It, it ought to bring awe to you. It was intended to astound you, right? You could not have walked anywhere near the temple had, and seen it and thought, wow, you were supposed to be astounded. But Solomon says, not even... Not even the heavens can contain you. And this house that I've built is like a pittance. It's nothing in comparison to your presence. Yet, verse 19, Have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place. And listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen from heaven in your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And he goes on and on and on. And I want you to go back through and read this, this section, especially of his prayer. Because he's, you see a man who's just humble. And he wants to do what's right. And he is completely trusting in God. And knowing that God will come through for him as long as he is laser focused on him. Solomon is just as aware of the curses in Scripture from Deuteronomy 32 that Moses gave to Israel as he is of the blessings. If you follow Yahweh, if you're laser focused on him, he will bless you. If you turn aside to other gods and you're not focused on him and you make compromises and you drift away, he will curse you. He will punish you. That happened in the Old Testament. It's just as true today. Hell is just as much a reality for us as it was for them. And it's even more sure for us if we, the Hebrew author would say, neglect our salvation. Solomon is aware of that. And then toward the end of his life, something happens. And he starts making these, these compromises. The scripture says that his wives led him away. He had 700. Uh, uh, let's get back over there to that. He had like 1,000 wives. I think 300 of them were concubines and 700 of them were actually wives. You may have to check me on those numbers. But they led him, they led him away. He started building uh, altars and temples to these false gods. And something happened. These, these small compromises that he probably didn't think very much about when he was making them eventually led him away and he drifted away. And so we don't know about Solomon's eternal resting place. Did he come back to God there toward the end? Tend to believe so. Did God have grace? I don't know. I do know this. Flip over to First uh, Kings chapter 5. Let's start back at the beginning, right here at the end. First Kings chapter 5.
show you something that God did for David that he also promised to Solomon. 1 Kings chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. But now the Lord God has given me rest on every side. There is neither adversary nor misfortune. So God has quelled every single enemy that has come up against David and Solomon in this, in, in this instance. So that, verse 5, I attend, So I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord said to David, my father, your son, whom I will set on your throne, uh, in your place shall build the house for my name. So God gave him rest from all these people, from all of his enemies, so that he could build God's house. Now, flip over, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9. 1 Kings 11, verse 9. Toward the end of Solomon's life, he turns away from God and he starts making compromises. And he starts drifting away. And he finds himself in a situation like he had never dreamed he was going to be in. Verse 9, and it goes all the way through the end of the chapter. God starts raising up enemies. He's going to bring a man from, from, uh, from Egypt. He's going to bring a man from... Uh, from Israel, uh, from, from uh, Solomon's own people. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, is going to come up from uh, Israel and he's going to cause Solomon all kinds of troubles. In fact, he's going to be the one who takes the kingdom away from Solomon's son, Rehoboam. There's going to be enemies on every side. Why? Because Solomon refused to focus. Because he had drifted away. And now the problem that God had given him for peace and for lack of, uh, of war is gone. He, he's removed that, that promise. And Solomon has to deal with all these things. When he was focused, everything went just fine. When he was on mission, everything was perfect. And it is for 16 out of the 19 chapters that record Solomon's life for us. He's on mission and everything's going well and he's righteous. But as soon as he gets off mission, everything goes sideways. We need to stay on God's mission. We need to be evangelizing. We need to be working towards righteousness. We need to be lifting up his name and making it holy, making it it a wonder to those who are around us. This evening, if you haven't been baptized, you need to get inside of His blood to have your sins washed away, to become a part of His family. To not make Him hold you accountable for the sins that you have on your record. That's the only way to have those things washed away, is to be immersed into His blood through the power of baptism. He forgives those sins. And when He looks at you, He doesn't see you. He sees His Son. So tonight, if you haven't been baptized, you want to make that tonight. You want to make that happen tonight. We want to aid you in any way we can. Maybe tonight you've already been baptized and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be laser-focused, to not drift away like Solomon has here. We want to help you in any way we can. Why don't you come tonight as we stand and sing? Why do you wait, dear brother? Oh, why do you cherish so long?
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that the ladies' Bible class is, has been changed to Thursday at 10 a.m. So if you're going to that, uh, the ladies' Bible class is Thursday at 10 a.m. Um, also, some new news. Uh, Cerrito Church of Christ will be having their gospel meeting on November 7th through the 11th at 7 o'clock. Michael Clark is the guest speaker there. Um, I will take the church bus there on the 11th, so if you're wanting to go to that uh, and you need details, just see me. Um, also, I've got some great news. Uh, Debbie, Chris's mother, has placed membership here with us. I would ask her to stand, but everybody's standing, so <laughs> she's standing. So, But um, it's great to have, have, have you part of our, our family here at Rome. Uh, Merrill, continue to keep uh, Tanya Ward in your prayers. Merrill, continue to keep Eric Blake in your prayers as well. Um, Merrill, continue to pray for J.B. Wanda's uh, son, Greg, as well. Also, uh, Kelly Williams will have her radiation this Friday. Merrill, continue to keep her in your prayers as she goes through radiation. And uh, our sympathy to the passing of... Myra Hayes Bowling, uh, that was uh, who we announced this morning, uh, Joe Galloway's niece, uh, she passed away uh, today. So remember to keep that family in your prayers at this time uh, as they go through a difficult time. Um, also, uh, Heather Pittman's grandmother is having a difficult time as well, uh, Charlotte Clay. So remember her in your prayers. And Murray continued to keep all the others dealing with cancer treatments and, and doctor's visits all week this week. And um, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been, pre been prepared in a conference room. You may leave and do that now as we sit. And closing prayer. Yes, John. Okay. Last song this evening is number 871. In his time, 871. Sing both verses. <coughs> In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful. In his time, Lord, please show me every day as you're teaching me. Let's pray this time. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for blessing us to get together again tonight. And Father, for blessings to sing these, these beautiful songs. And, and Father, to listen to the sermon. And, and Father, to, to learn uh, from those that you've written about in your word. And Father, we just pray that we will heed the things Brother Chris said this morning and this afternoon. And never neglect, Father, our salvation. Never neglect our or always have our mind on heaven, Father, that that's our goal, and it's all because of what you've done for us. Father, help us to never grow old and, and give up uh, what we've always felt strongly about in our lives. Father, we do pray for the many that were just mentioned and whatever need they have. Father, we just pray that you'll bless them to, to be better, Father, to get better, to have success with their treatments. And, Father, we, we do pray also for... Brother Joe's family at this time, that you'll bless them and, and his niece's family, Father, the loss of her, his niece, and for Leah Payne, and, and Father, for her family, and for Alan, and that you'll bless them until her loss. 
Father, we just pray that you will bless us as Christians, Father, and brothers and sisters in Christ to, to show the world you in our lives. Father, we're just so thankful for everyone that's here tonight. And Father, for the dedication everyone has, Father, to serve you and, and to love you and to glorify you. Just bless us through this week and whatever job we may have. Father, we just pray that you'll bless us to have patience and understanding and, and be able to, to again, show, show you in our lives. Forgive us, Father, when we fail you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.